0: Thank you so much for that welcome. It's really, really good uh, to be here with you. As Ron said, this is the second week in our series, Sustainable Power. And I'm really, really excited about this series. Are you excited about it? Good, good. For me, it raises my levels of faith about this life of adventure and power that is available to an ordinary follower of Jesus. When you read the stories of Jesus, he walked in supernatural power all the time. Whenever he went, wherever he went, people were healed. Some people were raised to life. People were set free. His powerful words spoke right to the heart of people's situations. And as a result, many, many people's lives were radically, completely changed. And he trained his followers to do the same thing. He said, go and preach the gospel. Go and heal the sick. Go and raise the dead. Go and love God and love people, empowered by the Spirit. And in the book of Acts, that's exactly what you see, Jesus' followers stepping out in faith. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. This church on the move with the expectation that wherever they went, the Holy Spirit would be at work. Now in my role as youth pastor for the church, I had the privilege of seeing the Holy Spirit move in some miraculous ways. We saw teenagers who would had to wear glasses since they were very, very young children having their eyesight completely healed. We saw teenagers being set free from eating disorders. We saw young people being brave enough to go and share their faith, tell a bit of their story in their schools, to pray for people. But I have to be honest, I would love to see more. I've got a real hunger to see more. I'd love my life to look a little bit more like the adventure of those early disciples in the book of Acts. That their miraculous wouldn't just be one-offs, but that actually everywhere I go, I see signs of the kingdom breaking in. Whether that was on a school playground, whether that was in conversations with my neighbours, or whether it's when I'm shopping in Tesco's, wherever I'm going, that signs of the kingdom would break in. And I'm conscious that there are things in me that prevent the Holy Spirit moving through me in those places. Now this series is all about the rocks that prevent us, or prevent, sorry, the Holy Spirit from being at work in our lives. And today we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about fear. Now it's a bit risky telling you this, but I've always had a bit of a thing about spiders. I think it's just kind of the way they move. Does anyone else here have a fear of spiders? Is anyone else brave enough to say, or is it just me? I mean, okay, good, thank you. Uh, the reason it's risky telling you this is because I'm fully expecting when I go into work on Tuesday for there to be a huge, hairy spider in the top drawer of my desk. <laughs> if I'm lucky, it would just be a toy one. Of course, I don't tell my kids that I don't like spiders. When there's a spider in the bath, I take on the role of super daddy, and I go in there, with a pot, obviously, to pick up the spot. I never do it with my bare hands, but then I take it as far away from the house as possible. But inside, I can feel that my heart is pounding. Now, I want you, just for a moment, just to chat to the person next to you, and just tell them one thing that you're afraid of. Okay. Okay, who is it that said they were afraid of their wife? (laughs) I don't know what kinds of things you shared there, but I think if we're honest, there's probably many areas of our lives where we allow fear to come in. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that fear is one of the main things, perhaps the major thing that prevents the Holy Spirit from working through us. That's certainly been my experience. Maybe it's been yours too. So what do we do With it? What do we do with fear? Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage in the Bible where Jesus is encouraging his disciples. So it's Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to it? Now, if not, don't worry, the the words will come up on the screen behind me. So it's Luke 12, 22 to 34. Now, in this passage, a crowd of many thousands have gathered around Jesus, but, but Luke is really careful to note that Jesus here is talking specifically to his disciples to his followers. There's something that he really needs his followers to understand. So it says this, Luke 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? you have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's just pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you so much for this passage. I thank you for what it shows about who you are. And I thank you for this series, this opportunity to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit and learn what it means to live for you. And I ask that this morning you would be speaking to us clearly. That we, wherever we're at, whatever we're facing, would hear your voice. And look, Lord God, as a result, your name would be glorified amongst us, that your church would be empowered, and that this town, the community we're in, would be changed for your glory. We ask that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, in this one chapter of Luke's gospel alone, that whole chapter, Jesus says to his disciples, do not worry or do not be afraid seven times. Seven times in, in chapter 12 of Luke's gospel. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. And earlier in the chapter, he says, When you're brought before authorities, don't worry what you're going to say. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I don't know about you, but I actually find that really, really encouraging. These ordinary men who will go on to partner with the Holy Spirit and see the world turn upside down have to keep being told, Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't worry. And the reason is because they experience fear just like we do. We're going to look at three things this morning on this subject of fear. What does fear do? What will faith look like? And how can we move from fear to faith? So what does fear do? When it comes to overcoming fear, I have to tell you that I am very much a work in progress. As well as my irrational fear of spiders, there are other fears that I've recognized in me. Things that, left unchecked, can easily prevent me from doing the things that God is calling me to do. So in school, I was terrified of being put on the spot. If a teacher ever asked me a question, I would glow kind of bright red in my face. And the idea of speaking, even in front of a small number of people, let alone a room full of people, until relatively recently in my life, filled me with absolute dread. On top of that, most of my teenage years was spent desperately trying to fit in. What it meant was that I would be one person with one group of people and another person with another group of people. And that need to fit in led to lying, it led to people-pleasing, and it led to compromise. And as I look back on my life, I've come to see those things as two fears, really. One is a fear of failure. What happens if I mess up? and the other is a fear of rejection. What happens if people don't accept me? How about you? What fears do you recognize in your own life? What fears prevent you from growing and instead cause you to shrink and draw back? The Methodist missionary Eli Stanley Jones said this, fear is the sand in the machinery of life. I love that that quote because fear grinds It's like the bits of grit that get into the machinery and stop it from doing the things that it was made to do. I want to tell you this this morning. If you are someone who struggles with fear, I want you to know that you are not discounted from a life of supernatural power. I believe that through the course of this series and over the course of our lives as we trust in Jesus, God wants to peel back the layers of fear in our lives. And he calls us this morning to come in close to him and to allow the words that Jesus says to his followers to be the words that he says to us to get to know him better, and to know how to overcome our fears. So what is fear? Craig Grishel, who's the founder and senior pastor at Life Church in the USA, said this, fear is simply faith in the wrong things. So it's a kind of faith, but it's faith in the wrong things. Let me give you an example of that. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is asleep in his boat. And this storm builds, and these waves are crashing over the side of the boat. And the disciples are there too, and they are, they are really scared. They're panicking. So Jesus gets up, and he tells the wind and waves to be quiet. And then he turns his attention to his disciples. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? What is going on in your heart? See, the truth is, the disciples do have a faith of kinds, but it's faith in the wrong things. They have plenty of faith in the power of the waves to destroy them, but they don't yet have enough faith in Jesus to save them. See, these guys were fishermen, but the sea in those times was really seen as something to be feared. It was considered wild and unknown. It's why when the sea is mentioned in the Bible, you often get negative associations with it. So Psalm 46 says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. The sea was seen as something to be feared, and yet, what does Jesus do to the sea? he speaks to it like a a father with authority speaking to an unruly child in another story he walks on the sea see faith isn't about ignoring the facts Jesus doesn't tell the disciples the waves don't exist it's just that they were choosing to put their trust in the reality of the waves over the reality of his power the disciples had faith but it was faith in the wrong things and when the Holy Spirit nudges me to do something and I don't do it because I'm scared of what the response will be, I'm doing the same thing. I'm putting my trust in the waves and not in the one who, who spoke to the waves and told them to be quiet, who overcomes the waves. Have you ever wondered why Jesus does this to his disciples? Why does he put them through trials like this? Why does he challenge them so much? I believe part of it is that Jesus has called us to this incredible adventure. He's called his followers, this incredible venture. He, he knows that there's going to be things that the disciples and us are asked to do. where we're going to need to know where to put our faith. We're going to need to understand that Jesus is greater than the storm, greater than the waves. So wherever fear is preventing you from doing the things that God calls you to do, wherever it's getting into your head and into your heart like, like sand in the machinery, and stopping you and slowing you down I want to encourage you to allow Jesus to ask you the same question why are you so afraid? what is going on in your heart? what is under the surface? see for Jesus' disciples their journey of discipleship was about growing in their understanding of who Jesus is and that's our journey too so what will faith look like? what will faith look like in our lives? I want to invite you for a moment if you would just to close your eyes and I want to invite you to dream with me just for a moment what would you do with your life if you had no fear what would you do with your life if you had no fear if there was no presence at all of fear in your heart what would you do with your life how might that change the future how might it change what tomorrow looks like If you had no fear, what decisions would you make? If you had no fear, what conversations might you have? If there was no presence of fear in your heart, what prayers would you pray? What might you stop doing? And what might you start doing? So I thought ahead to this preach. Um, I've tried to ask myself that question in countless different situations over the last couple of weeks. What would I do in this moment? What would I do in this situation if there was no presence of fear in me? I'd encourage you to do the same. A really, really helpful question to ask. You know, if you know anything at all about the history of kings, you'll know that it was built on ordinary people overcoming their fears and walking in faith. This is our story as a church. Now, I don't know if you, some of you, recognise these people. Um, so in the 1960s, this small group of people in Hayes in Middlesex felt called to start a church in a home, on a, in a housing estate very near here. Um, and that picture was taken, obviously, a few years later. But we all know it's one thing to have an idea about something that God is calling you to do. It's quite another thing to actually follow through and do it. Frank Matthews was really the pioneer and leader of King's for many years. Many of you will have known Frank. Perhaps some of you didn't know Frank. Well, Frank said this about that time when they were about to move. He said, I thought it was a marvelous idea until it came time to put our house up for sale. Many times I wished I'd never heard of the crackpot idea. After all, it meant an 18-mile journey to work and our daughter Joy having to leave all her friends and start at a new school. Most of all, suppose it didn't work out. Fortunately, God was greater than all our weaknesses. Suppose it didn't work out. You know, through the fear and uncertainty, they chose to put their trust in the greater reality that Jesus was in the boat with them. That Jesus was in the boat. Again, in 1994, when the church, our church was at a size where we needed a building. 29 families in the church offered their homes as security against the cost of the King Center down in the town center. Homes were on the line. Why did people do it? Because with wonder and expectation, they chose to put their trust in the greater reality that Jesus is in the boat and that Jesus is greater than the waves. And now you know we're three Sunday morning meetings across two sites, and it would be really easy to sit back and protect what we have. But you know, this isn't the destination we haven't arrived as a church. The Lord loves the people of Hazelman and, and High Wickham too much for us to settle. There's so much he wants to do. And he'll do it through ordinary people choosing to overcome their fears and walk in faith and trust in him. So what will happen all the more as we trust that God is greater than the storm? What does it look like for a church to be more fearless? Well first, a fearless church is Generous. A fearless church is generous. Let's look back at that passage that Jesus said. This is what he said to his disciples. Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You know He's saying to his followers, look, unbelievers worry about stuff and possessions. But you, you don't need to worry. Your father has got you in his hands. Instead, give generously. Your father has infinite resources. We were at um, a youth conference recently with our young people. And during the conference, one of our young people who loves playing the guitar went and spoke to someone in the band. And he came back absolutely beaming, huge smile on his face. And we asked him what was going on. And the reason he was so happy was because the worship leader in the band had given him his pedal. Now, I don't know why a pedal is so important, but to this guy, it meant everything. He knew what this thing cost. And what it was, it was this wonderful countercultural act from this guy in the band who trusted in his God. And he, as a result, he didn't cling to his stuff, but he was free to give it away. Hugely countercultural stuff, this is. See, fear makes us worry that if we give too generously, we'll run out. But when we get to know our Father, we're less inclined to hold on to our stuff and more inclined to give. As you saw in the video um, a bit earlier, it's gift day next week. When we first came to Kings, I don't mind telling you this, I was was astounded by how much this church gave on gift days. And what I would do was I would look at the total amount and then I would look at the number of people in the seats and I'd try and work out, how much has everyone given then. And then I think about myself, and I think, well, I've given nowhere near that amount. So some people must have given huge amounts. But you know, gift days are a huge opportunity for us. They're one of God's tools for getting us free of fear. This is part of our discipleship. Because the question is, will we put our trust in the waves, or will we know our Father well enough to give generously, to trust that he will provide for us? See, a fearless, faith-filled church is a generous church. A fearless church also welcomes people in. I love that Invited series that we had before Easter, This how the gospel breaks down barriers between people. You know, God is building a wonderfully diverse church at King's, but I believe we're in faith for more, aren't we, as a church, that we want to see more, that this, this, this church would become more ethnically diverse, that it would represent all parts of our town, that it would be a place where rich and poor come together. See, fear... Holds us back from talking to people who are different to us, but faith and fearlessness frees us to talk to people from different backgrounds with wholly different stories to our own. And you know, faith changes the nature of the conversations we have too. Because fear keeps things at surface level. We worry "If if I reveal too much about who I am, if I make myself too open and too vulnerable. What will people think about me? But when we can overcome those fears, the conversations go deeper. We let our guard down. We ask the questions that really need to be asked. We make ourselves open. We make the invitation. See, a fearless church welcomes people in. And a fearless church sends people out. I love it when I talk with some of our leaders here at Kings. I'm inspired by them. Their willingness to take risks and see what the Father will do. Our small group of people who are praying for women caught up in sexual exploitation. On Tuesday of this week, they were out in the town praying for our town. Our Christians Against Poverty team who go out and talk to people in their homes and as they're led by the Holy Spirit, having the courage to share the gospel with people. A fearless church doesn't hide behind closed doors, it releases ordinary people to go out with purpose into their ordinary places, their workplaces, their schools, their their homes, their town, with a message that they're confident that everyone needs to hear in the power of the Holy Spirit, showing love and compassion, expecting God to move in those places. And you know, this isn't just for a few people in the church. As John Wimber, who led the vineyard movement of churches, used to say, he said this, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. I love that. Because in this wonderful journey of following Jesus, we're all invited to overcome our fears. To do the things he's calling us to do. So how do we move from a place of fear to a place of faith? How can we get there? Well, if you know that that fear is an issue for you, perhaps for you, like for me, it's been the major thing that holds you back from allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. I want to suggest that it takes two things. First of all, it takes knowing who God is, and then it takes trusting him enough to take a step, even when it completely terrifies you. I love that line that Jesus says to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you know I love that? Because in one line, it says so much about who God is. It says that he's the shepherd who protects and leads his flock. It says that he's a father who loves his children. It says that he's a king who has a kingdom. See, you know, the key from moving from fear to faith is to get a right understanding of who God is. As your vision of God grows, your fears shrink. You know, for some of us, even when we know something of who God is, maybe the deepest fear that we can have is that God is not the kind of God who really wants to be good to us. That he's basically angry with us or waiting for us to trip up. But look at what Jesus says in that passage. He says, the father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The power and authority that he has, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he's been pleased to give this to you. His hand isn't forced. He delights in it. Your father's pleased to give you the kingdom. You know, he's the God who delights in giving to his children. I wonder, do you know him like that? Do you know him like that? See, at the cross, he gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. He took on all your fears and all your failings and all your rejection and shame on himself so that you could live a life completely free from this stuff. And at Pentecost, he fills, he gives the Holy Spirit. He fills his followers with power. He invites you to receive that supernatural power so that you can do the things in his strength that he's called you to do. He's the God who gives to his children. See, the antidote to fear is God's love. It's God's love. When you know that you're love, when you really know that, not just in your head, but in your heart as well, when you get it, your fears don't carry the weight they once did. 1 John four eighteen says this, that his perfect love drives out fear. So if you're feeling fear here today, then the answer is not to try and have more faith. It's to get to know your father better. It's to get to know your father better. As you know him better, as your vision of him grows, your fears shrink. Perhaps you've never known him like that, as a father who loves to love his children. Or perhaps you just need a reminder of that. If so, there's an invitation for you to come and receive prayer and get a revelation of, of who he is. But also to get a revelation of who you are. It says this about you in Romans 8.15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. See, what if fear had no power because you disarmed it day after day with the truth about how God sees you? Then how would that change your life? Before anything else, if you are a Christian here today, if you are a son or a daughter of God and nothing, nothing can ever take that away, no failure decreases its value, no other words override it, no disaster makes it crumble and no success adds to its worth. It's down to nothing you did yourself. It's all down to Jesus. He did it for you because he loves you. And now, you know, for a son or a daughter of the king, there's no need to walk in fear. We can go out of this place full of confidence and boldness and expectation every day. Why? Because wherever we go, our father owns the place. He owns the place. So question, how are you feeding your faith? How are you feeding your faith? Even if you've been a Christian for many years, you'll know that you need regular reminders, I certainly do, of who he is and of who I am. So at the start of each day, if you sense fear is creeping in, why don't you speak truth to yourself about who you are in Jesus? Let's tell each other about what God has done in our lives. Let's raise the faith levels of our church. And where there's opportunity for prayer throughout this series, I'd encourage you to go and receive it. Go and get prayed for. Go and get revelation of who he is. But you know, faith isn't just about believing, it's not just about knowing, it's about taking a step too, that we would trust enough to take a step. There's a moment in the Old Testament where Moses has died, and God's people are right on the edge of the promised land, and they're wondering, with Moses, their great leader gone, will God continue to protect and take care of his people So again and again, God says to them, just like Jesus says to his followers, have courage, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And when it's time for them to cross the Jordan, God promises to make a way for them, but he asks them to take the first step. This is his promise in Joshua 3.13 to his people. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. In other words, they will experience God's power, but first they have to set foot in the Jordan. They have to take a step. God is going to bless them, but there's something they need to do too. See, faith isn't just about believing. It's about trusting enough to take a step. And sometimes we have no idea what's going to happen. Like Frank said, suppose it didn't work out. But we must take that step. I wonder what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do? Where is it where you'll need to overcome fear to do it? What is your first step? You know, there's a town out there that needs us to overcome our fears and take a few risks as the Holy Spirit leads us. How do I know? Because people took a risk on me. When I first came to Wickham. I knew God. I'd grown up in church in my life, but actually my life was going in a bit of a strange place. I had no real sense of purpose and focus. And yet... Friends had the courage to invite me along to King's. And I'm forever grateful that they did. They took a risk on me. Are we prepared to step out and take a risk that our town might be blessed, that our town might know the love of Jesus? I want to end with a warning and a, a challenge. My little boy, Sam, has a, he's six years old. He has a love-hate relationship with water slides. Um, he, he, enjoy, he really enjoys going down them, but every time he comes to a big water slide... He can be a bit unsure. And I'll see him doing this thing where he'll sort of look up at the water slide and then he'll look over at me and he'll look at the water slide and he'll look at me and there's this nervous look on his face that's a bit unsure. And each time I'll tell him, Sam, you can do this. And actually it's more than that. I tell him, Sam, you're going to do this. (laughs) You're going to do this. And I'll tell you why. See, Sam knows there's a consequence of going down the water slide. He knows that it might be a bit fast, it might be a bit scary, but what he sometimes doesn't realise is there's a consequence too of not going down the water slide. And the consequence is that his fears will grow and he will shrink back. And next time he comes to a, a water slide, he'll be even more afraid, even less likely to do it, even less likely to believe that he can do it. And what will happen is while other kids who've, who've grown in confidence will go to bigger and bigger slides, he'll stay on the smaller and smaller water slides. Here's the thing. We can miss so many opportunities to step out in faith that our fears grow to a point where we shy away from risk altogether until we settle for comfort, until we forget we were even made for a great adventure with God. Now, I believe God has some huge, exciting water slides for us, both as individuals and as a church. There's an adventure to be had with Him. So I want to just end with a challenge. If you want to get free from fear, As the Holy Spirit leads you, why not do something that's doomed to failure unless God shows up? Do something that that would never work out unless the power of God was in it. What would you do with your life if you had no fear? Let's get a revelation of how loved we are by our incredible God. And let's trust him enough to take a step. Amen? Amen.